Chapter One of Book Three of Rhetoric. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jeffrey Edwards. Rhetoric by Aristotle. Translated by Thomas Taylor. Chapter One of Book Three. There are three things which it is requisite to discuss concerning a narration one indeed from what particulars credibility is derived the second about diction and the third in what manner it is requisite to arrange the parts of an oration concerning credibility therefore we have already spoken and have shown from how many things it consists and that it consists from three things we have likewise shown what the nature is of these three and why credibility consists from these alone for all men are persuaded to believe what they hear either because those who judge are themselves affected in a certain way or because they conceive the speakers to be worthy of belief or because the thing is proved we have also spoken concerning enthymemes and have shown whence they ought to be derived for some things indeed are the species but others the places of enthymemes it now however remains to speak concerning diction for it is not only sufficient to know what ought to be said but it is likewise necessary to speak in a proper manner and diction contributes greatly to the quality of the oration the parts of rhetoric therefore were investigated by the ancients in that order in which they are naturally arranged but from the nature of a thing we ought in the first place to discover those things which are adapted to persuade in the second place these are to be disposed i e expressed by an appropriate diction and that which is to be considered in the third place and possesses the greatest power though it has not yet been discussed by any one is what pertains to pronunciation or action for this was but lately introduced into tragic poetry and rhapsody for at first the poets themselves acted the tragedies which they composed it is evident therefore that with respect to rhetoric there is a thing of this kind in the same manner as with respect to poetry which has been discussed by certain other persons and by glauco and tyan pronunciation however or action consists in the voice and the principal artifice of action consists in knowing how it is requisite to use it to each of the passions thus for instance it is necessary to know when the voice should be loud when soft and when between both how the tones of voice should be employed such as the acute the grave and the middle and what rhythms are adapted to each of the passions for there are three things which the writers on pronunciation consider and these are magnitude harmony and rhythm and as in poetical contests those who excel in action for the most part obtain the prize and the players now excel in it more than the poets themselves thus also in forensic contests through the depravity of politics those orators gain their cause who excel in action the art however concerning rhetorical action has not yet been disclosed since likewise the art concerning diction was discovered late and it appears to be but a slight thing if it is well examined but since the business concerning rhetoric pertains to opinion we must pay attention to it not as a thing possessing rectitude but as necessary since it is just not to require more in an oration than that it may neither give pain nor delight for it is just to contend strenuously for things themselves so that other things besides demonstration are superfluous at the same time however diction is capable of producing great effects as we have said through the depravity of the hearer diction therefore possesses a certain small necessity in every discipline for it is of some consequence with respect to the declaration of a thing to speak in this or in that manner yet it is not very important but all these things i e whatever pertains to rhetoric depend on the imagination and are referred to the hearer hence no one teaches geometry in this way viz so as to be solicitous about diction the art therefore concerning pronunciation 
when it is employed, produces the same effect as acting on the stage. But some persons have endeavoured to speak a little concerning it, as, for instance, Thrasymachus in his treatise on compassion. And to be disposed to act is natural, and more inartificial, but diction is artificial. Hence again, rewards are given to those who excel in it, in the same manner as to those rhetoricians who excel in pronunciation. For written orations possess greater strength from diction than from the sentiments they contain. The poets, therefore, gave rise to diction, as it is natural they should. For names are imitations, and of all our parts, voice is the most imitative. Hence the poets invented the poetical arts, viz, rhapsody, or epic poetry, and the art of acting, or dramatic poetry, and the other arts. Because, however, the poets, though they sing of frivolous things, appear to have acquired their renown from diction. On this account, poetic diction, such as that of Gorgias, was introduced by orators. And even now, many of the unlearned fancy that those persons speak most beautifully when they speak poetically. This, however, is not the case. But the diction of an oration is different from that of poetry. And this is evident from the event. For the present writers of tragedies do not any longer employ the ancient poetic diction. But, as from tetrameters, they betook themselves to iambic verse because this measure is of all others most similar to discourse. Thus also they rejected such names as are foreign from familiar conversation. Those likewise who at present compose hexameter verses have rejected the names with which the first dramatic poets adorned their verses. Hence it is ridiculous for those to imitate these poets who no longer employ that mode of diction. Hence too it is evident that we are not accurately to discuss everything which may be said concerning diction, but only such things as pertain to rhetorical diction. For of poetical diction we have spoken in the treatise on poetry. Chapter 2 Let, therefore, what we have written in the poetic be surveyed, and let the virtue of diction be perspicuity, of which this is an indication that speech does not affect its proper work unless it renders manifest the mind of the speaker. Another virtue of diction is that it be neither low nor above its dignity, but appropriate. For poetic diction perhaps is not low, and yet is not adapted to an oration. But of nouns and verbs, such as are proper, render the diction perspicuous. Such other names, however, as are mentioned in the poetic, cause the diction not to be low, but ornamented. For the introduction of unusual words makes the diction appear more venerable, since men are affected in the same manner towards diction, as they are towards strangers and their fellow citizens. Hence it is necessary to render the dialect foreign. For we admire the language of foreigners, and that which is admirable is pleasant. In metre, therefore, the poet does this frequently, and there it is appropriate, for both the verse and the subjects of the verse are very remote from common occurrences. But in prose, much fewer foreign words are to be used. For there, if either a slave, or a very young man, or one who speaks of very trifling things, uses elegant language, it is more indecorous. But in the language of these persons, the becoming consists in an appropriate contraction and dilation unusual words however should be introduced by the orator latently and he should not seem to speak fictitiously but naturally for natural diction is adapted to persuade but the fictitious has a contrary effect for we avoid those who speak fictitiously as insidious persons in the same manner as we avoid mixed wines Thus the voice of Theodorus was preferred to the voice of other actors, for his seemed to be the voice of the speaker, but the voice of the others appeared to be foreign. Unusual terms, however, will be well introduced latently, if he who frames a speech makes a selection from the accustomed dialect, which Euripides does, and was the first that showed the way to others. 
but since an oration consists from nouns and verbs and nouns have as many species as are enumerated in the treatise on poetry of these species nouns taken from various tongues or dialects and also such as are double and fictitious are seldom and but in few places to be used where however they are to be used and why but seldom we shall afterwards show for they produce a greater change in the language than is becoming but the proper the appropriate and metaphorical are alone useful to prosaic diction of which this is an indication that all men in common conversation use these alone for all men speak in metaphors and in appropriate and proper terms hence it is evident that if any one does this well his diction will be foreign and it may be latent that it is so and he will speak with perspicuity but this was defined by us to be the virtue of a rhetorical discourse of names or nouns however the homonymous are useful to the sophist for through these they deceive but the synonymous are useful to the poet i call however proper and synonymous terms such as to go and to walk for both these are proper and synonymous to each other what therefore each of these is how many species there are of metaphor and that metaphors can do much both in poetry and prose we have shown as we have before observed in the treatise on poetry but it is so much more necessary to labour about these in prose because it has fewer aids than verse a metaphor also especially possesses the clear the pleasant and the foreign and it is not to be taken from another person it is necessary however to use epithets and metaphors that are appropriate and this adaptation will be obtained from the analogous but without this there will be an apparent indecorum because contraries are especially conspicuous when placed by each other as a purple garment therefore becomes a young man but not an old man for the same garment is not adapted to both thus also certain metaphors and epithets are adapted to some things but are not adapted to others if likewise you are willing to praise the metaphor must be derived from that which is better in the same genus but if to blame it must be derived from things which in the same genus are inferior i say for instance since contraries are in the same genus to say quote, that a beggar prays close quote, and quote, that he who prays begs close quote, because both are petitions it is expedient to do as we have said thus iphicrates called callius metragertes or collector to the mother of the gods and not dadukos or torch-bearer but callius replied quote, that iphicrates was not initiated otherwise he would not have called him metragertes but dadukos for both these offices pertain to the goddess but that of torch-bearer was honourable and that of collector ignoble the flatterers of dionysius also employed the same artifice for they called themselves artists both these words however are metaphors the one indeed of things sordid but the other the contrary and robbers at present call themselves exactors hence we may be allowed to say quote, that he who acts unjustly errs and that he who errs acts unjustly and also that he who steals both takes and robs there is however an indecorum in what telephus in euripides says of certain rowers quote, that they reigned over oars and descended into mysia for the word to reign is greater than the dignity of the matter i e of an oar he does not therefore conceal his artifice there is also an error in syllables unless they cause the words to have a pleasing sound and this error was committed by dionysius surnamed chalcus in his elegies for he calls poetry quote, the clangor of calliope close quote, because both are vocal sounds but the metaphor is bad which is made from sounds that are not significant farther still nouns are not to be far-fetched but things which are anonymous are to be denominated by words derived from things that are allied and of the same species and which show as soon as they are uttered that they are allied 
as in the celebrated enigma, quote, I saw a man agglutinating brass to a man with fire, close quote. for the passion is anonymous, but both are a certain addition. The enigma, therefore, calls the application of the cupping glass an agglutination, and in short, from enigmas that are well composed, good metaphors may be assumed. For metaphors have an obscure meaning, so that it is evident that an enigma, if it is approved, consists of metaphors that are well made. Metaphors also must be assumed from beautiful things, but the beauty of a name consists, as Lysimnius says, in sounds, or in the thing signified, and in a similar manner the deformity of a name. Farther still, there is a third thing, which solves a sophistical argument, for that which Bryson says is not true, quote, that no one speaks obscurely, since the same thing is signified by using this name instead of that, Close quote. for this is false, since one name is more proper and more assimilated than another, and is more adapted to place the thing before our eyes. Again, this name and that signify a thing not similarly subsisting, so that thus also one name must be admitted to be more beautiful or more deformed than another. For both names, indeed, signify the beautiful and the deformed, but not so far as beautiful, or so far as deformed, or both signifying the same thing, but in a greater or less degree. Metaphors, however, are hence to be derived from things which are beautiful, either in the voice, or in the power of signification, or to the sight, or some other sense. But it makes a difference to say, for instance, quote, the rosy-fingered morn, close quote, rather than, quote, the purple-fingered, close quote, or, which is still worse, quote, the red-fingered, close quote. In epithets, also, appositions may be made from what is vile or base, as, for instance, the matricide, but the apposition may be made from that which is better, as the avenger of his father. And Simonides, when he who conquered with mules, offered him a small reward, was unwilling to compose verses on the occasion, as disdaining to celebrate inverse semi-asses. But when he had given him a sufficient reward, then he sung, quote, Hail daughters of the steeds that fly, with feet like whirlwind swift, close quote, though they were also the daughters of asses. Farther still, a thing may be praised or blamed by employing diminutives, but diminution is that which renders both evil and good less. Thus Aristophanes, in his Babylonics, calls in derision crucian, bracket, a golden thing, close bracket, crucidarian, and emation, bracket, a garment, close bracket, ematidarian. He also calls loidoria, bracket, slander, close bracket, loidoramation, and nosima, bracket, disease, close bracket, nosimation. In both appositions, however, and diminutives, it is requisite to be cautious, and to observe a mediocrity. Chapter 3. Frigidity may be produced in diction in four ways. In the first place, in double nouns, i.e., in compound words. As in Lycophron, when he says, quote, The many-faced heaven, the mighty-topped earth, and the narrow-mouthed shore. Close quote. And as Gorgias calls someone a beggarly-mused flatterer, and those who take an oath improperly or properly epior cassantes and cator cassantes. and as alcidamus when describing some one who was in a rage quote, his soul was full of ardour but his face was of a fiery colour and speaking of the promptitude of a certain person to fight to the last he calls him telesphoros or enduring to the end he likewise calls the power of persuading Telesphoros, and the bottom of the sea Quanacrun, or azure-coloured. For all these expressions appear to be poetical from duplication. 
This, therefore, is one cause of frigid diction. Another cause arises from the use of ancient words. Thus, Lycophron calls Xerxes Pelorion, Andra, or an immense man. And Siren he calls Sinus Anir, or a pernicious man. Alcidemus also, speaking of poetry, says no such a therma, or puerile sport, is useful to poetry. And, speaking of nature, he uses the expression adasthalia, or improbity. And, of a certain person, he says, quote, that he was exasperated with the untamed anger of his mind. Close quote. In the third place, diction may become frigid from using epithets which are either long or unreasonable, or frequent. For in poetry it is becoming to say white milk. But in prose, epithets are partly more unbecoming, and partly, if they are too frequent, they cause prose to appear to be verse. Epithets, however, are sometimes to be used in prose, for they render the diction more unusual, and cause it to be foreign. But mediocrity must be regarded in the use of them since otherwise a greater evil is produced than by speaking casually. For casual diction is not good, but the other is bad. Hence the writings of Alcidemus appear to be frigid, for he uses epithets, not as seasonings, but as food, since they are so frequent in his writings, so great and so apparent. Thus, for instance, he does not merely say sweat, but moist sweat, and he does not say that someone went to the isthmia, or solemn games in honor of Neptune, but to the general assembly of the isthmian games. Thus, too, he does not say the laws, but legal institutes, the queen of cities. Nor does he say in running, but with the rapid impulse of the soul. Nor museum, but receiving the museum of nature. And the sad care of the soul, instead of merely saying care. Nor does he say favor, but the artificer of popular favor. And again he calls an orator the dispensator of the pleasure of his hearers. And he did not hide himself in the branches, but in the branches of the wood. And he did not cover his body, but the shame of his body. And desire the anti-rival of the soul. But this is at the same time a double word, and an epithet, so that it becomes poetical. Thus too, speaking of improbity, he says, the immense excess of improbity. Hence, those who speak poetically produce the ridiculous and the frigid, by their indecorous diction, and also occasion obscurity, by their garrulity. For garrulity dissolves perspicuity, when it is introduced to him who knows the subject, by the obscurity which it occasions. Men, however, use double or compound words when a thing is anonymous, and the words may be easily joined, such as time-wasting. But if this is done frequently, the diction becomes entirely poetical. Hence a double diction, i.e. compound words, are most useful to dithyrambic poets for the language of these is sonorous. But ancient names and dialects are more adapted to epic poets, for epic poetry is venerable and superb, and metaphors are most adapted to iambics, for these, as we have before observed, iambic poets now use. Again, in the fourth place, frigidity is produced in metaphors, for there are indecorous metaphors, some indeed on account of the ridiculous, for comic poets also use metaphors, but others are indecorous from being too venerable and tragical. Metaphors likewise are obscure if they are far-fetched, as those of Gorgias, who calls certain things green and sanguineous, and you indeed have shamefully sown and badly reaped these things. For this is too poetically said. Thus too Alcidemus calls philosophy the bulwark of the laws, and the Odyssey a beautiful mirror of human life. And again he says, quote, Nothing of this kind introduces puerile sport in poetry. For all these metaphors from the causes already mentioned are unadapted to procure persuasion. But what Gorgias said on a swallow 
which dropped its excrement as it flew towards him is the best of tragical metaphors for he said quote, this is shameful o philomel for if he said this to the bird the action was not shameful but to a virgin it was shameful his defamation therefore was proper because he alluded to what the bird had been and not to what it then was chapter four an image also is a metaphor for it differs very little from it for when homer says of achilles quote, he like a lion rushed close quote, it is an image but when he says the lion rushed it is a metaphor for because both are brave he calls achilles metaphorically a lion an image also is useful in prose though but rarely for it is poetical images however are to be introduced in the same manner as metaphors for they are metaphors differing in the way we have already mentioned but images are for instance such as what androtion said on idrius that he resembled whelps freed from their chains for they bite any one that falls in their way and idrius when freed from his bonds was morose and as theodamus assimilated archidamus to eusenus who was ignorant of geometry and this from the analogous for eusenus is the geometrical archidamus another instance of similitude is from the fifth book of the republic of plato quote, that those who in battle plunder the bodies of the dead are similar to whelps who bite stones but do not touch those who throw them Close quote. and in the sixth book it is said of the people quote, that they resemble a strong but deaf pilot and in the tenth book speaking of poetical measures it is said quote, that they resemble those who are in the prime of life but without beauty for these in the decline of life and verses when they are dissolved no longer appear the same Close quote. another instance is that of pericles on the samians quote, that they resembled children who take their food crying Close quote. and on the boeotians quote, that they resembled flints for flints are struck against each other and the boeotians fight with each other Close quote. another instance is that of demosthenes on the athenian people Quote, that they resembled those who are seasick, and that of Democrates, who assimilated quote, rhetoricians to nurses, who swallow the food themselves and anoint the children with the spittle. And again, that of Antisthenes, who assimilated Cephisitidus, who was a thin man, to frankincense, quote, which delights while it consumes. For all these similitudes may be used both as images and as metaphors, so that it is evident that such words as are approved and are used as metaphors will also be images, and likewise that images are metaphors which are in want of argument. It is always, however, necessary that a metaphor should be converted from the analogous and be referred to the other part and to things homogeneous thus if a cup may from analogy be called the shield of bacchus a shield also may appropriately be said to be the cup of mars from these things therefore an oration is composed chapter five the principle however of diction is to speak with propriety and this consists in five things and the first indeed is in conjunctives if these are disposed in such a way as their nature requires viz so as to be placed in an order prior and posterior to each other thus for instance the conjunction indeed and i indeed require but and but he it must be remembered however that conjunctions which correspond to each other should neither be disjoined by a great interval nor should have so many things interposed between them that when a conjunction corresponding to a former one is given the prior conjunction is forgotten for this is appropriate but in few places thus quote, but i after the thing was related to me for cleon came begging and entreating went taking them along with me for here 
many conjunctions are inserted prior to the conjunction which was to have been assigned but if there is a great interval between but i and i went the sentence becomes obscure one thing therefore requisite to correct diction is a proper disposition in the conjunctions a second is to call things by their proper names and not to circumscribe them by generic and common names a third is not to use ambiguous words but these precepts are to be observed unless the contraries to them are preferred which those do who when they have nothing to say pretend to say something for men of this kind in poetry thus speak as for instance empedocles for circumlocution deceives if it be much and the auditors are affected in the same manner as the multitude are by those who predict future events since when they speak ambiguously the vulgar assent to what they say Quote, if croesus passes over the river halys he will destroy a mighty empire but the reason why when we have nothing to say we should use generic terms is because in short the error will be less and on this account diviners speak through the genera of a thing for in the game of even and odd he will be less likely to err who says that a number is even or odd in general than if he determines what number is so and he who predicts that a certain event will be is less likely to err if he only says that it will be than if he assigns the time when it will be hence those who deliver oracles do not define the time when a thing will happen all these generic and ambiguous names therefore are to be avoided unless they are adopted for the sake of some such purpose as we have mentioned a fourth thing requisite to correct diction is as protagoras divided the genera of nouns into masculine feminine and instruments or neuter to employ these rightly as quote, she coming and discoursing departed close quote. a fifth requisite is to denominate rightly in many and few things and in one thing as quote, but they coming struck me close quote. in short it is requisite that what is written should be so written as to be read and pronounced with facility but this is not the case when there are many conjunctions and when what is written cannot be easily pointed and such are the writings of heraclitus for it is laborious to point the writings of heraclitus because it is immanifest what should be conjoined with the prior or posterior part as in the beginning of his book for he there says quote, of reason existing always men are ignorant close quote, since it is immanifest whether the word always pertains to the prior or to the posterior part farther still a solecism is produced in composition when to two words another appropriate word is not conjoined thus to noise and colour seeing is not a common i e is not an appropriate word but sensible perception is common the composition also is rendered obscure from the insertion of much which is intermediate unless the part which corresponds to the first part of a sentence is immediately subjoined and the rest added as quote, my intention was after i had mentioned such and such things to him to go Close quote. but this obscurity would be avoided by saying quote, my intention was after i had spoken to him to go Close quote. and then to add quote, having mentioned to him such and such things Close quote. Chapter 6 The following particulars contribute to the amplitude of diction. To use definition or description instead of a name, as instead of saying a circle, to say a plain figure in which all lines drawn from the middle to the circumference are equal. But the contrary contributes to conciseness, viz. to the use of the name instead of the definition amplitude of diction is also affected if when anything disgraceful or indecorous is to be expressed the name is used when the disgraceful thing is in the definition but the definition if it is in the name 
it is likewise effected by rendering a thing manifest by metaphors and epithets avoiding at the same time what is poetical and by causing one thing to be many i e by using the plural instead of the singular number which the poets do for when there is but one part they nevertheless say quote, into the achaean parts close quote. and instead of saying quote, the complication of an epistle close quote, they say quote, the complications of epistles close quote. amplitude is also affected by separating what we can conjoin as quote, this woman this our wife close quote. but if we wish to speak concisely we must say on the contrary quote, this woman our wife close quote. and it is affected by using a conjunction but if we wish to speak concisely we must not employ a conjunction yet the sentence must not be unconnected as in the first case quote, going and speaking to him close quote and in the second, quote, going, I spoke to him, close quote. The method of Antimachus likewise is useful for this purpose, viz. to enumerate particulars, which a thing does not possess, which he does, speaking of the hill to Eumessus, for he says, quote, a little hill there is, exposed to wind, close quote. For thus we may amplify to infinity, and this may take place both in what is good and what is bad by enumerating what is not inherent in whatever way it may be useful to the oration hence also poets derive the words cordless and lyreless melody for these words are derived from privations but what we have just said is adopted in metaphors taken from the analogous such for instance as to say quote, that the sound of a trumpet is a lyreless melody. Chapter 7. Diction also will possess what is decorous, if it is pathetic and ethical, and analogous to the subject matter. But the analogous is affected by neither speaking of things grand and magnificent slightly, nor of abject things venerably and magnificently nor giving ornament to a vile appellation for if this is not adopted the composition will appear to be a comedy which is the case with that of cleon for some things which he writes are just as if a man should say quote, a venerable fig diction becomes pathetic by reciting insolent behaviour in the language of an angry person but when conduct has been impious and shameful then the diction becomes pathetic by speaking indignantly and cautiously and when conduct has been laudable this is affected by speaking with admiration but in things of a lamentable nature the pathetic is produced by a humble diction and the like method must be adopted in other things appropriate diction also persuades to the truth of a thing for the soul of the auditor is deceived by false reasoning in consequence of conceiving that the orator speaks the truth because the auditors are thus affected in such like orations hence they fancy that things are as the orator says though they are not so the auditor likewise becomes similarly affected with him who speaks pathetically though he should say nothing to the purpose hence many astonish the hearers by the tumultuous manner in which they deliver their orations moreover ethical diction is a demonstration from signs because this when appropriate is consequent to every genus and habit but i mean by genus indeed age such as a child or a man or an old man sex as man or woman and nation as a lacedaemonian or a thessalian and by habits i mean those things which produce the variety of conditions in life for the lives of men are not such as they are according to every habit if therefore the diction has appellations adapted to the habit it will become ethical for a rustic and a well-educated man will not say the same things nor speak after the same manner but the auditors are somewhat affected by that figure which the writers of orations abundantly use as quote, 
who does not know this all men know it for the auditor from shame confesses that he participates of that knowledge of which every one else partakes opportune however or not opportune use is common to all the species but the remedy in every hyperbole is that celebrated advice self-correction for it is necessary that the orator should correct himself for the thing then appears to be true though it may seem to be incredible because the incredibility of it is not concealed from the orator farther still everything analogous is not to be used at once for thus the artifice will be concealed from the hearer i mean for instance that if the names are harsh yet must not the voice or countenance or other appropriate things be such as to express that harshness otherwise it will become manifest what each of these is but if the names are harsh and the voice or countenance is not adapted to such names the artifice will be latent if therefore soft things be spoken harshly and harsh things gently they will lose the power of persuading but epithets and compound words if they are numerous and especially such as are foreign are adapted to him who speaks pathetically for we pardon the orator who when enraged calls some evil heaven reaching or immense these epithets also and compound words may be used by the orator when he has already moved the auditors and inspired them with a divine fury either by praising or dispraising or by exciting them to anger or love which isocrates does in his panegyric towards the end where he has the words quote, fame and memory close quote, and quote, those who endured close quote. for those who are agitated with a divine fury speak things of this kind so that auditors admit what is said in consequence of being similarly affected hence this form of diction is also adapted to poetry for poetry partakes of divine inspiration either therefore this form of diction must be adopted in the cases already mentioned or irony must be employed as it was by gorgias and socrates in the phaedrus of plato chapter eight with respect however to the figure of diction it is necessary that it should neither be metrical nor without rhythm for metrical diction is not calculated to persuade for it appears to be feigned and calls the attention of the auditor from the subject of the oration since he is led to expect a metre similar to the former as therefore when the criers proclaim to the people when a slave is manumitted by his master quote, what patron will he who is manumitted choose Close quote. the boys antecedently to the crier exclaim quote, cleon Close quote. thus if the oration were metrical the auditors would preoccupy the orator and would foresee what he ought to say but the diction which is without rhythm is indefinite it is necessary however that it should be bounded though not by metre for the infinite is unpleasant and unknown and all things are bounded by number but the number of the figure of diction is rhythm of which metres are the segments hence it is necessary that an oration should have rhythm but not metre or measure for if it has it will be a poem it should not however possess rhythm accurately but only to a certain extent of rhythms however the heroic indeed is venerable and sonorous and requires harmony but the iambic is the diction of the multitude hence in speaking iambics are uttered the most of all measures but it is necessary that the prose of an oration should be venerable and very exciting the trochaic measure however is more analogous to swift dancing but this is evident from tetrameters which are a voluble rhythm the paean therefore remains which was employed by orators and originated from thrasymachus yet they were unable to say what it was but the paean is the third in order and follows the above-mentioned measures for it is in the ratio of three to two 
but of the others the one i e the heroic is in the ratio of one to one but the other i e the iambic and the trochaic in the ratio of two to one the sesquialter however is consequent to these two ratios and the paean consists of this ratio the other rhythms therefore are to be rejected from the above-mentioned reasons and because they are metrical but the paean is to be assumed for from this alone of all the rhythms we have mentioned metre is not produced so that it is especially latent at present therefore orators use only one paean and that at the beginning of the oration it is necessary however that the end should differ from the beginning but there are two species of paeans opposite to each other of which one is adapted to the beginning of narration in which way also it is used by orators but this is that paean in which the first syllable is long and the other three are short as delos begotten or lycian speaking of apollo and quote, o golden-haired hecate daughter of jove but in the other paean on the contrary the first three syllables are short and the last is long as quote, night concealed after the land the water and the ocean this paean however terminates the course of the oration for a short syllable because it is imperfect causes the oration to be mutilated but it is necessary that it should be amputated by a long syllable and that the end of it should be manifest yet not from the writer nor from a paragraph but from the rhythm and thus we have shown that diction ought to have a proper rhythm and should not be without rhythm and also what the rhythms are and how those subsist that produce a proper rhythm in diction chapter nine it is necessary however that diction should either be diffuse and one by a bond as the dilatations in dithyrambics or that it should be periodic and similar to the antistrophes of the ancient poets diffuse diction therefore is ancient as in the work of herodotus the thurian the beginning of which is quote, this is the exposition of history etc for this formerly all writers used but at present it is not used by many but i call the diction diffuse which has of itself no end till the thing which is discussed be brought to a conclusion this diction is however unpleasant on account of the infinite for all men wish to see the end of a thing hence racers in the turnings round the goal are out of breath and faint but prior to this when they have a prospect of the goal their labour is not so extreme such therefore is diffuse diction but periodic diction is that which consists of periods i call however a period diction which has of itself a beginning and end and a magnitude which may easily be perceived but diction of this kind is pleasing and easily learnt it is pleasing indeed because it subsists in a way contrary to that which is boundless and because the hearer always fancies he obtains something because there is always something for him which is bounded but it is unpleasant where nothing is foreseen and nothing effected it is also easily learnt because it may easily be remembered but it may easily be remembered because this diction has number in the periods hence all men remember verse more easily than prose for it has number by which it is measured it is necessary however that a period should contain a complete and not a mutilated and abrupt meaning as in the iambics of sophocles quote, calydon the land where pelops reigned for the contrary might be thought to be true by a division of the period as in the above instance it would seem that calydon is in the peloponnesus with respect to periods however one is in the colons or members but the other is simple but the period which is in the colons is a perfect and distinct diction 
and in which what is pronounced admits of easy respiration and does not consist in a division like the above-mentioned period of sophocles but is a whole and entire but i call the period simple which consists of one colon it is necessary however that the colons and the periods should neither be curtailed nor prolix for when the periods are very short they cause the hearer to stumble frequently for the mind of the hearer being impelled farther to the end which he had proposed to himself stumbles as it were when the orator stops short but prolix periods cause the auditors to be left by the orator just as those who in walking pass beyond the boundaries of their walk for they leave their companions behind in a similar manner periods which are long become themselves in oration and resemble diffuse diction whence that jest of democritus the chian upon melanipides who dilated in his writings instead of making antistrophes quote, this man frames evil for himself in framing evil for another but to dilate much is the worst of evils to him who does it Close quote. for a thing of this kind may be aptly said to those who use long colons very short colons however do not become periods these therefore hurry away the auditor with them precipitately but of periodic diction which consists of many colons or members one kind is distinct and the other opposite and the distinct indeed is such as the beginning of the panegyric of isocrates quote, i have often admired those who collected public assemblies and instituted the gymnastic contests Close quote. but the opposite is that which consists of many colons and in which either the same thing is composed with contraries or contraries are composed with contraries as in the panegyric of isocrates quote, the athenians benefited both those that remained at home and those that followed for they acquired more for those that followed them than they possessed at home and they left sufficient for the support of those that stayed behind here the contraries are staying and following sufficient and more and again in the same oration quote, so that to those who were in want of money and to those who were willing to enjoy it etc here enjoyment is opposed to acquisition farther still quote, it frequently happens in these things that prudent men are unfortunate and the imprudent are prosperous and quote, immediately indeed they obtained the rewards of brave men and not long after they became masters of the sea another example is quote, he sailed indeed through the continent but walked through the sea he joined the hellespont but dug through mount athos and quote, being citizens by nature but by law deprived of a city for some of them indeed perished miserably but others were shamefully preserved and quote, privately indeed they used barbarian servants but publicly overlooked many of their allies that were in slavery Close quote. and quote, to have them when living or leave them when dead Close quote. or what a certain person said against pithilaus and lycophron in a court of justice quote, they sold you indeed when they were at home but when they came to us they were themselves bought Close quote. for all these instances make the above-mentioned periodic opposite diction diction however of this kind is pleasing because contraries are most known and when placed by each other are more known and also because they resemble a syllogism for an elenchus or syllogism of contradiction is a collection of opposites a thing therefore of this kind is antithesis but adequation takes place when the colons or members are equal as quote, the father died in battle the son was married at home and assimilation is when both the colons have similar extremes but it is necessary that they should have similar extremes either in the beginning or the end 
and the beginning indeed has always similar nouns but the end has the last syllables similar or cases of the same noun or the same noun in the beginning indeed the similar extremes are such as in the following instances quote, he received land from him but it was uncultivated land close quote, and quote, appeased with gifts and mollified with words close quote. But the similar extremes in the end are, quote, they did not think that he had brought forth a boy, but that he was the cause of his birth, close quote. Quote, in great cares and in little hopes, close quote. Cases of the same noun are such as, quote, but he deserves to have a brazen statue, though he is not worthy of brass, i.e. of a brazen coin, close quote. And, an instance of the repetition of the same noun is quote, you while he was living defamed him and now he is dead write ill of him Close quote. but an instance when there is a similitude alone in the last syllable is quote, what evil have you suffered if you have seen an indolent man Close quote. a period also may have all these at once so as not only to consist of opposite but also of equal and similarly ending colons the beginnings however of periods are nearly all of them enumerated in our theodectian rhetoric there are likewise false oppositions such as epicharmus made quote, then i was one of them then i was with them Close quote. chapter ten these things therefore being discussed let us now show whence polite and the most approved diction is derived to speak politely therefore is the province of an ingenious man or of one who is exercised in elocution but to show the sources from whence polite diction is derived belongs to this method i e to rhetoric we shall therefore unfold and enumerate what they are let the beginning therefore be this to learn easily is naturally delightful to all men but names signify something hence such names as cause us to learn are most pleasing foreign tongues therefore are unknown but proper words we know metaphor however especially causes diction to be polite for when the poet says that quote, old age is stubble close quote, he produces in us learning and knowledge through the genus i e through the agreement of old age and stubble since both produce a defloration the image therefore of poets produce indeed the same thing and hence if they are well employed the diction will appear to be polite for an image as we have before observed is a metaphor differing from it in the collocation on which account it is less pleasing because it is a longer simile and it does not say this thing is that hence in a metaphor the mind does not investigate the similitude i e its attention is not diverted from the object to which it is directed that diction therefore and those enthymemes must necessarily be polite which cause us to learn or produce in us knowledge rapidly hence neither are superficial enthymemes approved bracket, for we call those enthymemes superficial which are manifest to every one and which require no investigation Close bracket, nor such as when produced are not understood but those only render the diction polite which are understood as soon as they are uttered though there was no previous knowledge of them or which shortly after lead us to the knowledge of something of which we were ignorant for by the latter enthymemes discipline is as it were produced but by no means by the former enthymemes therefore of this kind are approved from the sense of meaning of the diction urbanity however is produced in the figure or form of the diction if contraries are opposed to contraries as in the oration of isocrates de pace quote, and they thought that the peace which is common to the other greeks was war to their own private affairs Close quote. for here war is opposed to peace urbanity also is produced in names or words if they are metaphorical and the metaphor is neither foreign for this is difficult to understand nor superficial 
for this does not affect the hearer. Farther still, urbanity in diction is produced if the thing itself is placed before the eyes, for it is more necessary to see what has been than what will be done. It is requisite, therefore, to pay attention to these three things, viz. metaphor, antithesis, and energy. As, however, there are four kinds of metaphors, those are most approved, which subsist according to analogy. As when Pericles said, quote, that youth perishing in battle was taken away from the city, just as if some one should take away the spring from the year. Close quote. And as Leptines said of the Lacedaemonians, quote, that the Athenians should not suffer Greece to be deprived of its other eye. Close quote. Thus too, Cephisodotus, when Chares was anxious to give an account of the Olynthiac War, said indignantly, quote, that while he endeavoured to give the people an account of his conduct, he kept them in a furnace. Close quote. And the same person, once exhorting the Athenians to forage in Euboea, said, quote, It was necessary that the decree of Miltiades should proceed to the Eubeic expedition. And Iphicrates, when the Athenians had made a league with Epidurus and the sea-coast, said indignantly, quote, That they had deprived themselves of the viatica of war. Close quote. And Pithilus, called the Athenian ship, which was denominated Perilus, the club, bracket, Robalon, close bracket, of the people. He also called Cestus the granary of the Piraeum. Pericles likewise exhorted the Athenians to destroy Aegina, as the ophthalmy of the Piraeum. And Miracles, naming a certain worthy person, said, quote, that he was in no respect more depraved than this person, for with respect to him he had taken three per cent interest, but that he himself had taken ten per cent. And the iambic of Anaxandrides upon his daughters that were a long time before they married, quote, the virgins have passed beyond the appointed day of wedlock. To these may be added what Polyudus said on one Spusippus, who was a restless man and apoplectic. Quote, that he could not be quiet, though he was bound by fortune in the Penticerigian disease. Cephisodotus likewise called three banked galleys various baking houses, but the dog, i.e., Diogenes, called taverns the Attic Fiditia. And Asian said quote, that the Athenians had poured forth their city into Sicily. Close quote. For this is a metaphor and places the thing before the eyes. Ashian adds, quote, that the Athenians had so poured forth their city into Sicily, that Greece vociferated, close quote. For this also is after a manner a metaphor, and places the thing before the eyes. Cephisodotus also exhorted the Athenians to beware, quote, that they did not make their assemblies hostile congresses, close quote. And Isocrates said, quote, that the sophists addressed themselves to those who run together in the public assemblies. Close quote. And as in the funeral oration of Lysias, quote, it was but just that Greece should cut off her hair on the tomb of those who died at Salamis, because her liberty was buried with their virtue. Close quote. For if he had said quote, that it was but just Greece should weep in consequence of virtue being buried with those who died at Salamis, close quote, it would have been only a metaphor, and the thing would have been placed before the eyes. But the words, quote, liberty was buried with virtue, close quote, have a certain antithesis, and, as Iphicrates said, quote, the path of my oration is through the midst of the transactions of Chares, close quote. For this is a metaphor according to analogy, and the words, quote, through the midst, close quote, place the thing before our eyes, and to say, quote, to call on dangers, to give assistance to dangers, close quote, is to place the thing before the eyes, and is a metaphor. Another instance is that of Lycolian in defense of Chabrius, quote, neither will you revere his suppliant brazen statue, 
close quote. For this is a metaphor in the present time, but not always, and places the thing before the eyes. For he being in danger, the statue supplicates for him, and supplication is attributed to an inanimate statue, which is the property of an animated thing, and, quote, a monument of the works of the city, close quote, and, quote, they meditated by every possible way to have groveling conceptions, close quote. For to meditate is to increase something, and again, quote, that God enkindled the light of intellect in the soul, close quote, for both light and intellect accord in illuminating, and, quote, for we do not dissolve war, but defer it, close quote. For both deferring and a peace of this kind signify something future, and to say, quote, that the compacts of peace are a trophy much more beautiful than those which are procured in war, for the latter are obtained for things of small consequence, and through one fortune, but the former for every battle, close quote. For both a trophy and a compact are indications of victory, and, quote, that cities through the censure of men suffer great punishment, close quote, for punishment is a certain just injury. And thus we have shown how polite diction may be derived from metaphor according to the analogous, and from placing a thing before the eyes. End of chapter 10 of book 3 Recording in memory of Mitchell Edwards